Here we are, everybody. Hey, Larkin. Hello, Mr. Nigel. Yeah. So, everybody, I'm I'm deeply blessed and honored to be with Larkin O'Toole. Larkin's quite the man of many skills and many talents. He's an Irish filmmaker, writer, musician, alchemist, and spirit medium and channel. He's the son of the late great Peter O'Toole. And Lorcan was an actor until he had a profound spiritual experience, which changed the course of his life dramatically and his way of being dramatically. And he's here today to get real, real with us and in, in, in some essential conversations together. You know, so so let's just get right into it, Lorcan. Um, I find myself really curious um, and excited to be here with you today. And the feeling that there's just this real curiosity to know about what was it like for you as a boy? Because for me and my work, working with men and, and, and women, really exploring and not trying to understand the dynamics of childhood and the beauty and the growth and the healthy soil that helps us grow and sometimes the unfertile soil that 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 shapes us and changes us. And I'm really curious, man, just like what was it like to be to have a father who was so famous and what was it like to be that world as you were a young man? Well, Nigel, when I was a boy, a little boy, I didn't, I wasn't aware of such things such as a famous father or what have you. I was born in Dublin uh, on St. Patrick's Day in Ireland and uh, I grew up uh, in Connemara on the west coast of Ireland till I was about almost three years old. And my experience growing up as a little boy didn't include uh, cognizance or understanding or self-consciousness or what have you of having, it was just my father. Mm -hmm. It was this powerful, wonderful, electric, incredible individual um, that held me, that sung to me, that loved me. Um, that's all I knew. And uh, it wasn't until later growing up that I started to become more aware that People would come up to him in restaurants and ask for his uh, uh, signature or what have you, autograph and this and that. And um, but but being a little boy to answer the the a deeper answer to your question, I um, I was born in Ireland. My mother and my father uh, separated around about the age of three and my father went to England and my mother who's from the United States went to the United States and I went um, back and forth uh, between them because of a, um, a court order uh, in uh, they had a a tussle, a challenge over custody, you know, as many divorced parents uh, have gone through. And the judge yeah. ordered that I would be with my father uh, in England for my schooling and with my mother in the United States for vacations. And so I experienced um, going back and forth between two different worlds uh, every two months. And Looking at that and experiencing that growing up, I realized that that gave me, um, 
a hyper adaptability. It gave me an ability to adapt to new circumstances, to new surroundings, to new people, new perspectives, which was very important for my development. And I also recognized that the, the ground, the root, the grounding was always a challenge and still in some senses uh, continues to be for me, um, moving around so much. And I also learned, you know, later on in life that my journey in life was to be a traveler, was to be a bird, was to be um, a pollinator, someone who is taken by spirit or magnetics, what have you, to different locations and different places to interact with them and bring whatever gifts or whatever assistance I can in those situations and vice versa. And so I realized that my whole childhood was a um, like, a, like a, a training ground, a grooming in a certain way. And so I don't look at, at any of it as unfortunate. I see it all um, with purpose. Mm -hmm. Wow. I feel that, man. And, and then, you know, what, you know, as you moved into being uh, a teenager, you know, when you moved out to, to high school and what was that journey like for you then? Did you choose a particular place then to stay? You know, as you after the age of about sixteen, like, or did you stay, in, or did you continue to travel back and forth? I, I know you've you've been a traveler ever since, but I'm just curious about that. Those pivotal years of being a teenager and trying to work things out as you become a, a young man. Yeah, um, in the United States, my mother, um, who used to. Um, train and own and look after racehorses she would always live on a um a farm of some kind and i found myself in the united states feeling somewhat isolated by that and in england i started to have more friends and more communication more of a sense of community um etc and so around the age of 15 i decided to live more predominantly in london in england um, and I went to boarding school there, um, a school called Harrow in England, which is, um, how was that? Um, personally, I, uh, did not enjoy it. Um, I remember many moments sitting on my little bunk bed in, uh, in the school and feeling almost like a part of my soul had, lifted out of my body um the there's a lot of people who really enjoy the boarding school experience and the camaraderie and the friends and the sense of togetherness and going through something together etc and I, I, that never really was my particular experience uh, i always um how do I say, it, it felt more comfortable for me by experiencing it as an experience that would give me a backbone, that would give me a more of an uprightness and ability to withstand, to weather certain experiences without feeling a victim or what have you. But my personal experience um, was not particularly pleasant at all. I mean, the entire um, educational system around the entire world, whether it's United States, England, Ireland, uh, Bali, there's something broken in it. There's something that doesn't work in it. It's like an institutionalization, like a prison. Like you go into a room and you're not allowed to look out the window at nature. 
you're told to focus, snap out of it and look at the calculus when you're nine years old and not concentrate on your imagination and your creativity. There's something built into the current education system that I feel is uh, an indoctrination and a propaganda um, that I find hardly any uh, positive use in. Um, it's good to learn to spell, to etc. But but there's something wrong about the current education system. I don't want to say wrong, but there's something that does not resonate to me as a soul. Um, yeah, well, I can feel that. I can sense it like a, a, a tornado. That the sort of passion you have about that that would be born out of something, you know, that would be yeah. born out of a sort of experiences that 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 didn't support a maturation that 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 in most cases that I work with clients who have had to go through boarding schools, it's it's often been challenging, difficult, lonely, suppressive at times. Institution has been a word they've used often. But to really feel that power from you, they're just naming it as it as it was for you. It just wasn't a fertile soil. It was fertile in the way that it needed to be, but it's not the way that I would send if I had a child. I wouldn't. I would. I would rather um, uh, have my boy sit underneath a, a mulberry tree for a month and eat the mulberries and smell the, the the fruit and feel the wind and look at the grass and and the sun rising and the sun setting. Um, I feel that 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 based with the intuition that we come with as spirits as beings and the magic that is nature uh to allow that uh to be the instructor the master so to speak that's what we had to call the the teachers at school master mm -hmm. that's what slaves called their uh uh slave owners master wow so how did you survive your way through how was you know as you know I, I have this image of you sitting on the bed by yourself in this sort of uh, cold sort of establishment and it, how, how was that journey how, and and where what how did you make it out of there alive and and, and where did you go next well, most of my friends my very good friends uh at boarding school got expelled uh for <laughs> right they say like what well, i don't want to go i go to hell hell is fine because all my friends would be there right um <laughs> yeah uh, all my friends got expelled for various uh reasons whether it's leaving it was an all boys school so leaving school quite naturally to go sneak out and meet a, a young lady or you know, this or that. And yeah, most of my friends got expelled. And so I was left with a few friends here and there. But yeah, I remember most of my best friends got got thrown out for kind of almost natural um, reactions to prohibition. You know, I remember Osho saying, if you build a, a sign in the village that says, do not piss on this sign the entire village will line up and piss on the sign mainly because you told them not to um <clears throat> yeah i agree with you i went to an all boys school and to make matters worse just to really wreck our heads 
they put an all girls school right beside us, you know? Of course they did. <laughs> they love right. to do that. They said, okay, well, we'll tell them not to do it. And, uh, and we'll tell them to, like, we have to have this degrees of separation. And it's hard enough being a young man trying to be, you know, like it's so confusing then to be told that you needed to be separate. And, and, it, and yeah, it, it, it definitely leads to, uh, you know, as Osho would say, like they're doing the thing you're told not to do, you know? And uh, it's so confusing. Uh, it didn't seem to work and it didn't seem to help, you know? Well, I always thought that, that um, one of the most important things to nurture in young children is imagination. <clears throat> and I had this idea that you could build a school next door to another school called the School of Imagination. And boys and girls in the other schools who are being you know, fed calculus at seven years old would look out the window and see other children in the school of the imagination being encouraged to look out the window. And one by one, the, the children in the other school would leave and go join the other school because they felt in their heart that that was staring into nature, looking at nature, uh, looking at the rhythms of nature, the simplicity, the magic of it was more instructive than um, learning the square root and hypotenuse of um, 346, etc. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, Larkin, as I hear you talk, man, I, I hear these different echoes and, and rhythms of the universe and of nature and of connection and sort of, you know, closeness. And so I'm really curious about what was, how did you get onto a trajectory where this started to be a way of being for you? You know, like what was the next steps after, you know, after your <clears throat> release date from the prison of, uh, of boarding school? Like what were the key next steps towards your shaping into this orientation? Well, I decided not to take a gap year, uh, gap year, uh, after boarding school, because uh, I, I got into New York University um, to, to be an acting student, which is a very prestigious acting school. And I, I auditioned in New York, uh, and I did very well, and they um, accepted me based on my audition. Cut a long story short, I arrived in New York City um, on August 28th, 2001, two weeks more or less uh, from September 11th. So I was in Manhattan uh, on September 11th when the Twin Towers came down. And I realized earlier in my life, I had what I, I called at that time psychic masochism. Um, I see it very differently now, but I would always draw myself. My father was similar to mm, tumultuous, intense experiences um, that would somehow catalyze my own development and perspective. And watching the towers and hearing the towers come down, um, you know, quite a few blocks away, um, changed my consciousness, changed my mind. I don't want to discuss uh, conspiratorial history or conspiracy theories, um, but I knew something in my gut uh, was not not quite right with the entire situation and what happened, et cetera, and what was told was happened. Something just did not ring true to me at all. 
And that led me to uh, leave New York University after a year um, and leave the school and go back to England. And I spent, goodness, almost nine years um, researching everything that you're not taught in school, um, so to speak, on the internet, in the library, talking to other people. Uh, I started to realize there was a wealth of knowledge um, that was not made available in what we learn in history school, what we learn in physics, what we learn in biology, what we learn from the, the, the usual spectrum of uh, education. And that had a profound awakening experience on me. Not that I was to study frenetic ad adrenal filled subjects about this conspiracy and that, but more that there was a lot more to reality, a lot more to life, and a lot more to um, the soul of, of humanity and who we are than, than had been explained to me by seeming elders. And um, after that, I moved to Los Angeles in 2010 to begin uh, uh, an acting career. And I was very successful uh, at first. Uh, I was in the show Sons of Anarchy, a uh, very successful TV show, In Time with Justin Timberlake, Harry's Law with Kathy Bates, and a plethora of other things. Um, but then in 2012, uh, in May, I started to have a very profound, visceral, uh, spiritual awakening. And this is something that's very difficult to describe with words. Um, the best way I could describe it is what's known as self-realization, where you, stop, you begin to have a visceral feeling in your body, in your mind, in your soul, in your energy, that not only are you connected to everything in life and all of creation, but also that you within yourself carry a spark that is the energy of creation. And I went into a form of samadhi, uh, which is like a state of bliss or trance for a couple of months in Los Angeles of all places. And uh, I became a different person than I, I was before. Um, it's hard to describe, but uh, like a, a deeper level of my own soul walked into my physical experience as a human being. So that's, <clears throat> that's quite a dramatic sort of happening. When that was happening, were you in surrender to it? Did the, was there an observer switched on to know that that's what was happening? Because that sort of thing, when that happens, and I have many, uh, I have a few friends, some teachers and some clients where they have went through these different degrees of awakening and you use the word samadhi that, that, that rings through for a few of them. Sometimes it can be quite a challenging and traumatic experience as things and sensations and, you know, sort of your awareness starts to shift or it starts to expand. Like how, how was that those months when this, you know, I, I don't know if maturation process is the right word for it or evolution, but, 
What was it like to be in that cooking experience of coming alive? Brilliant question. Um, ironically, you asked the question at the very beginning of was there an observer? And the experience of self-realization was and is realizing that there is an observer that is observing what you're observing. And that realization and realizing that actually that was you, not as an identity, and I stress that. It's not a ego mind identity. It's almost a form of non-identity, but a healthy version, not a um, pushing away or um, uh, hiding yourself underneath the carpet, but an experience of witnessing all of life as an observer uh, of pure awareness. Um, and so to answer your question, the experience was beyond blissful, beyond any words that I could put. In fact, any word that I would attribute to it would be a disservice. However, after that point, after those few months, I was living in a house in Los Angeles. I had a breakup from uh, a very difficult breakup um, from a girlfriend. Uh, we were both very much in love with each other and were having a very difficult time and needed to separate. And I went to stay in this house that my friend was renting. And in the back of the property was a gentleman called Stephen Wolverton. And he was the owner of the house and was renting out the main house and living in uh, the, the small guest house in the background. I became very close with him and we spent a lot of time together and he was having many different uh, challenges in his life and the spiritual uh, information and perspectives that were coming through me were of great benefit to him at that time. Um, it was, uh, he had very beautiful blue eyes and the moment that we looked at each other, we knew that we knew each other somehow. To cut a long story short, one night, um, I came back to the house and he was um, sitting at this table in the garden. And his hair was combed and Something was just strange. It was about 11 o'clock at night, and he said, hello, Lorcan, how are you? And I said, um, you know what, Steve? Um, I'm being very quiet and very still, and I'm stopping running from all the pain I've run from my whole life. And he said, you know what, Lorcan? That's starting to happen for me, too. I'm Boom! He had a heart attack. Massive heart attack. And I grabbed him before he hit the floor and lay him down and his face was mangled and blue and I could see that his soul wasn't even in his body. And I called the paramedics. I gave him CPR, mouth to mouth. And I went to the hospital with him and stayed with him till four o'clock in the morning. And then I decided I had a feeling to go home and sleep. And I did, and then I woke up at uh, 8 o'clock in the morning, and the uh, Cedar sinai Hospital in Los Angeles called me on my phone and said, 
Stephen's past. And I wasn't surprised, but I sort of went into, you know, a form of shock like we all do. And the reason I'm saying this for many different reasons is that one o'clock p.m. that day, uh, his soul came to me and also to another person I, I knew at the same time at 1 p.m. and every uh, hair on my entire arms and body was bolt upright. And it felt like a muted desert wind of love. I felt all around me. And I stood in a sort of prayer position, looking out to a mirror that could reflect exactly where he used to sit. And he started to speak to me in my heart. And I realized I was having a communication from the next life, another world, spirit side, whatever you want to call it. Um, and he said to me that, that death was not about uh, something heavy. He said it was about lightening up and many other different things. And it changed my whole perspective. And I knew in those moments without a shadow of a doubt, like I, I have to this very moment right now in my practice as a medium, that there is life beyond what, the death of the physical body. And the gift that Stephen gave to me, um, like I gave to Stephen, was a, a measure. People would call it karma. I don't necessarily see it that way, but uh, a gift that I gave to him and he gave back to me that helped change my entire life. And now to this day, I work as a spirit medium uh, and channeler, and I have the ability to communicate with people that have crossed on, that have crossed over, that are in spirit side, some that are still on the earth plane, um, amongst others. And uh, I was a massive catalyst for the new life that I uh, began to live from that point. Wow, man. Like, <clears throat> I'm still kind of moved just by the reality of the spark, you know, the spark of two people coming together and the closeness that was formed and the togetherness that was cultivated and the sort of, you know, the sort of exchanges that were even way before uh, the, uh, the big transmission that came in was these other transmissions of just this, this way of just resting with one another, dwelling almost with one another in a way that was sacred. And, uh, and how, you know, I was just, and the, the sort of sense in my own being, in my own heart, like as I as I felt you kind of feeling into that the importance of that meal relationship in your life, and um, yeah. I'm still kind of moved by that, by the way, and and yeah, it, it has me <clears throat> really, you know, look, like I've known you for a while, Lorcan, and I, I, you know, I never knew, I never, I knew you did some healing work and stuff like that, but I, I never, and this is. It's, it's it feels very um well let's put it like this i feel a sort of raw depth that has it's lovely to understand the depth of where something starts to come from you know like a, the sort of like the scar on a on an oyster that produces a pearl you know the the loss of a love opens a door to something new that wasn't there or it puts things together and it's jumbled imperfection but yeah mate uh like what 
what what was the steps that happened you know as you started to realize then okay this is something that i'm starting to understand that i can bring forth to the world or this is something that i need to start living this way like how did it start to formulate for you after that because again another shocking experience of of another world that that exists and that and transmissions about a world after death that in your world and, and is that there's something that it's lightning it's not it's not as heavy thing that we're often taught through catholicism or through you know our societies so i'm curious to know like how did that start to build shape in your mind and in your heart as you moved forward when i was when i first began acting in london was what comes to my mind uh, the my first agent asked me uh, why do you want to be an actor and I didn't think, but what came out of my mouth was I want to help the, I, I want to help the whole world laugh and cry. And she said, oh, that's a beautiful answer. I've never heard anyone say that before. So I think it was always in there, but that, I didn't want to be an actor when I was an actor to, for glory and fame and money. And there was something that was always in me that I wanted to move people. I wanted to be of service. I wanted to help somehow. And after the awakening experience in 2012, that went on to a whole different level altogether. Um, what's the expression? Uh, something like uh, being... Being selfless doesn't mean that you think less of yourself. It's just you start to think about yourself less. And yeah. for me, um, being of service to all the people that life brings me to, um, to just give without expectation of return, to give the gifts that I've been given by life, and give them back to other people. There's nothing else that compares for me uh, in, in all of my life. That's the real juice. Um, more, it has no price tag. Just being able to give the gifts that you've been given back to other people just for the sake of it. I think that's the real currency. And maybe if people concentrated on that more than Bitcoin, uh, then uh, they would understand true value in life. Lorcan, that's what it's all about, man. You know, like, I really feel you, brother. And, uh, you know, like, just, you know, just this, this, this river that's coming in my body as I hear you share, man. There's all these things that happen that pop your heart, pop your awareness, shape your mind. And to this whole thing about, you know, like, to help people laugh and to help people cry, you know, like, to, to really allow that to be to how, how, how we anesthetize ourselves from our own aliveness throughout our life by avoiding those two places, you know, and and to have a, a sort of a drive, a passion. I think, you know, I think each of us as humans, you know, this is a great trajectory to have, even if we're pumping gas, whether we're working as a uh, construction work or whether we're doing, uh, you know, flipping pizzas or whether we're, you know, we're, we're selling cars or whatever it is, that that's just the way 
we could be as humans where we have these exchanges with one another these new ways of connecting that are meaningful deep and uh it's like you're driving impact. you're driving a bus right you're a bus driver and throughout the entire day you know hundreds of people are coming onto your bus and you're taking them to live their lives and to go out and do whatever they're doing there's a lot of bus drivers who might not realize how integral and important that job is yeah you know yeah. how much we are starved as children for connection with people you know you know and i remember when i was a young fella and uh you know and it's about a bus driver actually and uh we used to live in the countryside and we used to get a you know travel in and out to school every day because we lived in the sticks and um and i was a very lonely little kid in my own way very sort of introverted uh sort of shut down would be withdrawn would probably be a a better terminology for it and on any bus regular bus journey there'd be different bus drivers over the week and um i remember just a few times where there was a smile man where i was like acknowledged and my name was called and it just for me to have someone have interest in me it it just it, it and and to this day to have someone who's interested in my mind or in my heart or in me it's just such a, an important sort of um nourishment from you know you, we can use the word soul we can use the word sort of heart it's just was essential and i remembered as a young kid how at times i was so starved i just wanted more i just didn't have enough of it and there was a happy bus driver who gave it to me a few days and uh, so rightly said norkin just the importance of been able to be with people and acknowledge them even though you know again sometimes we it's the simplest things that 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 make all the difference sometimes yeah especially the simple things man yeah man so so here you are man after this whole you know this 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 knowing that's coming out and and did you stay in the acting at that stage was that did you did you no it, were it, you a transmitter so within that industry or did you take another direction it was mad, man. Um, I got signed by Gary Oldman's agent, who was my hero actor. Like I, I was, oh, I'm set. I'm about to be, you know, some, something or someone. And after the experience happened, which was, it's difficult to go into, but over a couple of months, uh, the whole acting thing just fell away like that. And I didn't shed a tear. And when I was younger, I wanted to sleep in a theater. I, I, I've always been a musician and a f actor. I always had those things, but the whole acting thing just fell away. And it's more testament that, that something, uh, a, a purpose, a feeling of presence, experience of self came through so profoundly wow. that all of that just whoosh, fell away. And within a couple of months, uh, the, all of it fell away. Mm. Manager, the agent, all of it. And I, we were talking about nature earlier. Um, I've been a tarot reader, uh, though not so much for the last few years, for a long time. And I was pulling tarot cards at, at that moment from a particular deck. 
And what kept on coming up over and over and over and over again was um, retreat into nature. And so I was guided to go to a lovely place in California about an hour and a half outside of Los Angeles, whose name I won't mention. But it's very agricultural, rural, simple, lovely place. And Synchronicity guided me to go there. And I spent nine months letting go of what it's like to live in a city, what it's like to be on the freeway and traffic, on the highway and traffic, and all this stuff and this conundrum and this Wi-Fi and this frenetic energy and realized that one of the most important things in my life was to develop or remember a very beautiful, abundant connection to nature, mother nature however you wish to describe it. Um, and I think that I know that that's the most important thing I would suggest to any single human being on the planet right now is to develop and open your connection to nature itself, whether it's walking bare feet on the grass, whether it's uh, going into the ocean, into the sea, uh, you know, all the things that they tell you that you can't do these days. Um, there's a wisdom, there's a living technology in nature that supersedes any microchips or uh, nanoparticles or anything that might be offered to you simply in nature itself. It's more complex and simple than you might have imagined. And Mother Nature, or Gaia, Pachamama, whatever you want to call her, um, she loves all of her children. She loves all of us, all of the animals, the plants, the trees, the birds. And all the animals and the trees and the plants are all tuned into her. In fact, they're Mother Nature live in perception. And in fact, I would say that they're waiting for human beings to catch up with that state of consciousness. Um, as hippy-dippy as that might sound, uh, you never know. Maybe in the future, computers might be made from amino acids. <laughs> well, you know, there's something to be said about, you know, coming back to being in nature and, you know, and, and just putting your feet on the ground, I think you know the the sort of clear headedness that can come from you know just the grounding and just taking our time to breathe you know i remember back in the day whenever i, I used to have a healer she used to send me healings from france to a tree in ireland and i would lie under the tree and the tree would give me the healing and i thought this was bizarre back then i thought and people listening sure. might think it's still a bit bizarre but hey you know what this is this is what we do um but yeah, it was it was radical to me that this would be something that could that could could be real, that could actually be impactful, and actually a, a few of those particular sort of experiences had set me up on a trajectory at one stage to study in some healing schools, which I don't do now. But it was a, it was a, it was a, an awakening in and of itself back then. But I want to come back to something here, Larkin. That really, yeah really is kind of still lingering with me from something that you said, you know, so, so this experience of, of spirit, this experience of 
for the people watching, you know, like this veil has been pulled across and something from the other side says something to you, talks to you, whether it's through your sense of smell, through your sight, through audio, through your sense of feeling. Tell me about more about how that's been cultivated since that moment, the deeper understanding of, of, of your ability to, you know, make a telephone call and connect to that place and, and, and how it's been serving you over the years. How's it you kept meant, you, you on the straight and narrow? Yeah, for sure. Well, you, speaking of narrow, you mentioned the five senses uh, and people describe as the sixth sense um, is a vibrational uh, form of sensing. It's a quantum form of sensing. It's beyond touch, taste, smell, sound, sight. Although the connection of all those different senses can also connect you when harmonized to the sixth sense. And that's actually part of my work on the planet. But the sixth sense is a vibrational sense. It's a sense of the unseen, of the non-physical. In the same way that when you ask, when you fall in love with someone, you meet a lovely girl or a lovely guy, and you start to feel these butterflies in your stomach. And then every cell in your entire body starts to sing a song of knowingness. I'm in love with this person. I know it. I know I love them and I know that they love me. You, 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 you can't, um, scientists will say, well, people fall in love because certain hormones come up at certain times so that the couple stays together and has a baby. On a mm, rudimentary chemical biological level, I'm not saying that that's not true, but the sense of feeling in love, of love, whether it's for a kitten, whether for, for a plant, a tree, a rainbow, or the whole earth itself, uh, is something that you know in your loins, in your gut, in your heart, uh, a sense of knowingness. And so with my work being a psychic channel, medium, all these different terms for something that's actually a lot simpler, um, it's been a nonstop, daily, nightly, every moment practice of receiving certain information, like you and I are talking about, you know, sitting underneath a tree and it talking to you and some other people will just absolutely laugh at you for saying that, and that's grand. Um, but there's certain bits of information that come through from spirit that you feel in your heart, that you feel intuitively and you start to develop a sense of knowingness about it, especially with some things that are very challenging to current level of education of physics. Uh, the current level of what physics describes is, is absolutely, it's Newtonian, it's archaic, it's hundreds of years in the past. The, the quantum field of consciousness, of energy that we are and that exists in all places and all times and all spaces is uh, a living being and that we're all extensions of this being, of this intelligence, of this energy. And getting to know this energy, feeling into it, feeling the waves of understanding of um, peace of joy, of play, of wonderment, um, 
that it feels like to connect to this um, field, this living intelligence is so beautiful and so fulfilling um, that again, that there's no words, it's ineffable. And so when I was younger, when I was a, a teenager in England, I used to walk down the street and I would intuitively feel I should walk on the right side of the street as opposed to the left side of the street because if I did, something would happen. And if I did, I would bump into a friend. I would bump into uh, some sort of circumstance or situation that was kind of magical or interesting. And this culminated, um, I, I studied Jung, Carl Jung, uh, who's a great uh, teacher and someone I love very, very dearly from me. And I studied him a lot uh, when I was 19. And he talked about synchronicity and that synchronicity, the sort of, that certain circumstances and interactions and meetings between people were so beyond uh, mathematical probabilities. It was like lightning striking. And for me, that was kind of my, I don't believe in God. Uh, I, this word, I don't have a problem with it. A lot of people, I understand why they have a problem with it because it's connected to religions and the externalization of power and some bearded man in the sky and all this. But Carl Jung was asked by an English reporter, um, do you believe in God? And he said, belief? What is this belief? I know. And synchronicity and many other different things in Carl Jung's experience was enough for him to start to garner and viscerally experience and know that there was something, there was a, a grand intelligence in all of life not necessarily orchestrating everything, but on some level, something greater than how we perceive our, ourselves sometimes as human beings was going on. So I was in New York uh, with a friend of mine called James, and we decided to, to walk down the street in Manhattan. And of course, everything is up, down, left, right in Manhattan. So we decided to walk to every street corner and see which way the wind was blowing, or if there was a beautiful girl there, or if there was some sort of color or something that would uh, draw us in a certain direction. And we followed this for about 40 minutes and met all sorts of amazing people. And, and then we decided to take a taxi back to our dorm and the taxi pulled up and we got in the taxi and the, the, the taxi driver's name is displayed in the taxis in New York City. And the, the taxi driver's name was God's Power. <laughs> and yeah, I, wow. I was sort of stupe, stupefying. <clears throat> and I said to the driver, like, we've just been doing a synchronicity exercise and we came across you. And he didn't have much to say about it. He's like, oh, anyway, yeah. It's my name. Um, but yeah, to all, all those experiences with synchronicity, with seeing these living miracles uh, almost every single day uh, has led me to a place of grounding in uh, an intelligence, a purpose, and a... a wonderment in all aspects of life um, that's now my living experience. Mm. 
I'm just trying to still digest all those words, man. Just the meaning and the and the power of them. And, uh, hmm. There's this also this parallel alongside this, and you know, you know, listening is the thing that rings true here. Whether it's listening to this vibrations beyond the the veil, you know, it's symbolically or whether it's listening for the signs, smelling the, the sound, hearing the sight of things like being able to allow yourself to, to be present to life and to let life move you sometimes and for you to lean into that uh, aliveness. And similarly, I, I had a teacher one time and uh, she would send us off on, on weekends and the whole exercise for the weekend would be to just be moved by your listening. So you'd go into a town, this was in Dublin, and it would be just go and listen. Don't speak. Listen to everything and see everything that's around you. Mm -hmm. And there'd be people talking, and you'd take away from like, what are they talking? How does that, what they're talking about, impact me? How does that relate to me? And it ended up that I ended up in a sports club and uh, on this one Saturday, and I was sitting in the sauna, and, and here's two men who were just talking about life and and then they started to talk about their traumas and they started to talk about similar tra traumas that i went through as a child and and i'm sitting up on the top deck as a young man i'm always trying to get stay in the longest and stick out my chest and try to endure more pain and so i was crying up top man because it was like it was all the all the all my hairs were standing all my defenses were down and I was just hearing these, this transmission that was, that if I wasn't tuned in to wanting to listen, I, I wouldn't have picked it up. I, I wouldn't have got the message, man. So I love when you say that how this helped you really refine your, your whole body and everything else to be able to listen to life's calling and, and how it called you forth. And, yeah, so t take me. I'm, I'm curious. Let's let's keep journeying. Like, what happened? Like, where did you go after that 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 space, that place in time for you? Where did the gypsy roam after that? Where did the wind blow you? Where where didn't it? Would be a better way to answer that question. Um, what you said about listening. Um, our mind has been programmed for a long time, a lot longer than history would record, um, to be doers, to do something to prove our worth, to do something to survive. Um, and as, as beautiful and important it is to, to take action steps in life, to, to be receptive, to which is more of a feminine quality to be allowing, to listen, to allow energy, to allow vibration in silence or what have you, um, to wash over you, to wash through you, um, is something that we're all waking up from uh, a collective awakening uh, from the opposite. You know, when you were a slave, you get whipped you don't you do something you don't want to do and if you don't do it you're going to get punished for it and that's been ingrained into 
our experience as human beings uh, more than I think many people realize. Um, but what happened with me um, was in my father died. Uh, my father's body uh, passed away uh, in 2013. What age and, are you in, uh, Lorcan? Jesus Christ, man. Um, about 28, 20, 29, something mm -hmm. around there. My maths is pretty bad. I spent the whole time staring out yeah. the window at nature. Uh, uh, about, about, really, about, just wanted to know just the age of where you were at when that like a uh, pivotal uh, life altering experience happened with your father passing. I just wanted to get a context of that. Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking about it today for some reason. Um, I was in um, living with some friends in, on their sofa in uh, California. And I got a call from another family member um, that my father had had a heart attack and got into a coma and that he wasn't going to come out of it. And he'd had a few, he had a, a number of different health scares leading up to it. And, uh, you know, when he had me as a young boy, he was an older man as well. And I used to go into his room and check if he was still breathing uh, when he was sleeping sometimes for, for a long time. So it's almost like I prepared for it in a certain way, but these things you cannot prepare for. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, he went into this coma and he was in a hospital in St. John's Wood in London. And I got on a plane uh, from California and flew to London and slept overnight at a hotel and then went to his uh, hospital uh, bed the next day in the afternoon um and uh his wonderful uh assistant and friend lucy uh was outside the door like a like a, a guardian and she let me in and there was a um looked like a filipino uh english male nurse uh sitting in the corner and my father was there being breathed up and down by the ventilator and they put his hand on his hara and he was And I'd been initiated into sort of shamanic, I don't want to use that word, but uh, practices and song and healing vibrational energy and so 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 forth. So I began to sing over his body and run my energy uh, over his body. And uh, I also was aware very clearly of mediumship and that I would be in communication with him at some point after his passing. And, uh, and I, I lent into him and I said, I'll see you soon. Uh, I'll, I'll be here. And I, I looked in the corner and uh, um, the, the nurse, the male nurse was just bawling his eyes out. And it's strange. It, it, felt, it felt like a gig almost like, you know, I was there to fulfill a purpose, to do something. 
Uh, I, I wasn't lacrimonious like I am now. I'm not. I wasn't crying. I wasn't weeping. It, it just. It felt like I was supposed to be there for a particular reason, and I don't know that gave me strength or ho however you want to put it. And I, I left um, his room and I went back to my hotel and I got called the next morning that he'd passed. And I knew that he um, he waited for me. Maybe not consciously, certainly not as a physical body, but he, he waited for me. I knew it. And I heard that he'd passed and saw the, you know, the news broadcasts, you know, acting legend Peter O'Toole dies after a long illness, all this, you know, crap they normally say. And uh, and then I was taken to his, oh, it's just starting to rain here uh, in an undisclosed place in Asia. Uh, <laughs> it's very fitting, you know, like the hearts of anybody who's watching right now feeling into this, Lorcan, like, uh, and like to really feel your vulnerability, what it takes to be real like this, to be raw, to be present to, to these places in you. Um, it's, we talk about being in sync with nature, then I think we're doing a good job here. You know, let, the, let it, it rain. Seems to be working out. Yeah, the tears are coming here and here and there. I think it takes a lot to not be vulnerable. I think it takes a lot of work, a lot of stress, a lot of strain, a lot of resistance to not be vulnerable. And I, yeah. I personally find being vulnerable the easiest, most beautiful thing. It's like uh, almost like you have a bathtub or something full of water and you pull the plug out and the water just rains out I, I find it a very beautiful experience i don't get off on it i don't want to be a you know a hollywood actor crying and you know playing poor me but there's something about being vulnerable about feeling your feelings about showing others that you uh, are okay with feeling your feelings i think that's one of the most powerful things in the entire world um as they say your vulnerability is your true strength um but uh yeah then i i went to uh the 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 place where they keep your the the body of your loved one that's died i can't remember the like name or like uh it wasn't the morgue it wasn't <laughs> what, <laughs> there was no there was there was no fucking toe 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 <laughs> thing on him or anything like that no you never um, went you never went to the hospital and so so it'd have been like uh just like the the your father got buried right he didn't get cremated no he did get cremated but okay. he was taken to a open body viewing place let's call it okay. that and i went there with a friend of mine and i was in the lobby waiting uh for you know 10 minutes and i felt his spirit this is somewhat like maybe a week later after he died i felt his spirit uh come into me and i i stood up like this with my hands out to the side and i felt this golden brilliance throughout all of my body and i, I was like my goodness he's he's right here he's in the waiting room and then boom the woman comes in and says would you like to go see him now and i said okay and i walked down the hallway and there was my father's the shell of my father's body cold skinned cold haired containing none of the essence that i remember of my father the visage the 
the look, but not the essence of him. And I had this very, very interesting experience. Like I'm touching my father's body, his cold, dead face. And also I just felt the most brilliant golden sun of energy of his essence in the waiting room. He didn't come in with me to that room, but I felt, oh my goodness, his dead body is here and his essence just contacted me uh, with every cell of my body in the waiting room. And that was also another uh, sort of confirmation or um, solidifying or crystallizing of um, the path of understanding that there is life beyond the physical realms. In fact, uh, uh, the physical realms encompass only 1% of 99% um, of what that is. Um, Wow, what a, what a gift at such a time of tragedy to be able to be able to access the the golden essence of your father and to and to let it come into you and be able to be that fine tuned uh, uh, sort of tuning fork where you could let that happen. Um, that's what a privilege, what a, what a blessing to have that time with your dad in that way at a time when you know, a lot of people struggle with grief and sadness. Oh, but here's the thing that's like usually people don't feel a thing for a few months after that some here and there after someone's passed because they have certain chemicals and muscular things that happen in their body that protect them from the shock of it and you know some people who are skeptical could say that these were fantasies of my mind to give me some sort of healing balm to go through with the experience Certainly that's not the case, but I do understand that many people who have a difficult time having communication and connection with loved ones that have passed is because of the grief that they're carrying. Absolutely. And still, Absolutely. still to this day, I, I, you know, I cry about my father uh, still to this day. I weep about him. And at the same time, you know, 30 minutes beforehand, I'm getting, you know, half an hour of, downloads from him like i'm writing on a piece of paper as if he's whispering into my ear you know but that doesn't change the physical sense of loss i think it was someone beautiful was talking i think it was Sadhguru. he was talking about the fact that in the muscles uh, we we learn a connection a physical touch a feeling of connection that's physical with these people all the different five senses and that these senses go into our um, cells of our body and are stored as memories. And one of the most painful things about grief, because on a spiritual quantum level, there is no separation. But on a physical level, the most painful thing about grief is feeling almost that those memories in the cells dying. Yeah. And you feel and, it and to, in the body. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, no, like I get it, man. Like this is, you know, I see this in the in the clinic room all the time. You know, like the struggle with allowing yourself to fully feel bereft, to really allow yourself to feel it, to allow it, because there's these body sensations you talk about, and then there's an avoidance of it. There's a getting on with busyness, getting on with, you know, taking care of everybody else, you know, you know, and uh, somehow not allowing that process. And I think the tears that I felt from you today is the celebration of the love you had for your father. He's not dead to you. 
he's here with you in your heart, man. And like, I feel him in the room with us, you know, like I, I'm, I've, I might have had hairs standing on the back of my neck or, you know, I, I got some big hairs back there and they were standing at all, you know, and like, I can't, I, I'm, hairs, I, I'm, uh, I'm really moved, man. Just with just that, just that, that piece, you know, just, uh, like, you know, and, and the beauty of, of grief, the, the, the sort of, you know, yeah. I spoke with a, a wonderful trauma uh, therapist the other day, and she said spirituality is sitting in that pain. That was her orientation, to really allow yourself to be in the cooking, to be in the grief. That, that, was, the, that was it for her. You know, that was her access to something else that was beyond what she was used to and, and that was expansive and nourishing, and, and it helped her uh, find her way in life. And, and I agree. And, and I feel your heart. And for the people watching, you know, like the struggle, you talked about how easy it is for you to open the plug in your bathtub and let the grief out, you know, yeah. and, you know, with all, you know, it's a lovely analogy. I love that. And, and, you know, and most people don't have that uh, knowing that it's healthy to feel. We all come from indoctrinations, we come from, hand-me-downs of stories from father to son from mother to daughter that we need to be you know we need to you know we shouldn't and so if you say you save face you don't you don't let people see you you don't let people feel you it's 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 rude or it's uh, it's not necessary europe and ireland you know cowboys don't cry you know you know you have to be tough to be a man you know like you talked about yeah it's a lot of hard work to not feel all this years of hand-me-downs conditionings that's the hard work that's the that's the the heavy blockades around the heart that that really hamper ordinary men from being men who could have more nourishment in their lives and have more connection so i really want to take us here we got we got some more minutes left just around this piece around how do you envision how do you whether it's men or women, what advice would you give them to people who struggle with being able to feel more deeply about things that matter in their lives? How could you, what would you say to them? What would be important to say to them? I'd say first, first and foremost to breathe and breathe and breathe and breathe and breathe. I had some family members growing up that I watched them, they, they didn't breathe. And I realized that they, they, they never breathed at all. And that there was so much anxiety and fear and trauma underneath holding the breath. Yeah. Um, the reason I say that simple thing is because when you start to breathe, you start to loosen up, you start to open up, you start to feel yourself. <clears throat> And I'll share this with anyone else who has a tough time being close with their own emotions or vulnerability. My father was uh, uh, a titan of a man, uh, a force of nature, uh, someone who expressed <clears throat> emotions and energy uh, in such a way that uh, it's hard to compare to. And yet I will share with you that vulnerability was the hardest thing for him to share 
he used to tell me a story at the dinner table. He used to work in the Navy for the British Navy when he was younger. And he was doing Morse code um, transmissions from here to there. And he had some friends who were on a submarine. And uh, he got the... Um, he got the Morse code signal that there had been a sub smash. And that means that there was a, a leak or a problem or um, a destruction uh, in the submarine that caused it to implode. And so all of his friends and those that he knew on board the submarine died. And my father would tell the story and he would get to the bit and he'd say, um, and then there was a, a sub smash and he... He'd grab his nose and blow all the air out of his body because he didn't... I think that when he was young, that he was very sensitive and that when he cried, like many of us do around our parents, whose parents were even more unfamiliar with emotion and their parents even more unfamiliar with emotion, it became a shame, a weakness, a, 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 a embarrassment to feel your emotions and I, and yet my father was so expressive in his acting by noticing his private life that he was terrified of showing that vulnerability and he he, he had many many different friends who who died and uh and he he said a very funny thing which is that the only exercise that i do these days is walking behind the coffins of my friends who did exercise uh uh, which which I, I thought was hilarious and ironic, but I remember my father, uh, we had two cats, uh, Skinner and Claude, these two uh, twin uh, brother and sister, black cat and orange cat, and black cat was mine, the orange cat was my dad's, and then I came back one day and the orange cat, uh, its legs, its back legs stopped working. And my, my father knew that it was dying and that he had that it had to be put down. And he was on the balcony crying like a uh, seven-year-old boy. And he he wouldn't cry at his family's funerals. But when the, the cat the cat was immobilized, that that brought out that true quality to him. And that was one of my favorite moments with him, was wow. to see that vulnerability. Um Wow, let's with just take a moment there, um, Lorcan, just because I just want to frame this because it's so powerful to hear a son talk about a pivotal moment in his life, to see his father vulnerable, whether there's a father's watching here or there's mother's watching here, and how we're conditioned with society to be able to like keep all that stuff hidden and how that's the stuff that's the gold. That's the stuff that that, that makes that bridge possible of closeness how do we get to know someone if we can't be open our hearts to them because when we open our hearts when your father was on the balcony and when he was sharing his grief then you could you could feel him you know like he was there he was totally yeah. there and, and, and that's the magic of vulnerability and wow like the power of connection and uh, how essential it is for our own nourishment and when we don't get it we're so it's, poverty stricken and something I yeah. want to run past you Larkin uh, because yeah. you're in this industry or have been in the 
industry and i've noticed this because i have uh, many clients who are in the acting industry and friends who i've known who've partaken in it and i suppose this is not my words but the words i know you like carl Jung. i, I like winnicott uh, so he would say that artists have these wonderful two polarities that coexist one is a great longing to be seen and equally a longing to hide yeah. And I'm curious, you know, is that, have you seen that dynamic where there's this much, where there's such a, an enormous amount of energy to, to transmit to the world, to give to the world, to, to, to reveal on some level, some, some part, but at the same time with almost even the same equal level of intensity, a need to withdraw back from and to avoid or to hide or to, some would say even to recharge, to do it again. You know, I'm curious about, you know, that dynamic with your father where, you know, and, and in these moments at home with, with the family where you might have been very private and connect, like how was that, those memories of those times with your father? Was it that he did like in his privacy from the world, uh, how was he vulnerable with you? Was it walks in the countryside? Was it going to the football game or, or, or was it uh, reading poetry to you from, you know, Yates or whatever, like that. What was, how did you connect? What was those other bridges from heart to heart? I remember watching my father um, walk into uh, an event at a at St Paul's Cathedral in London, and I, I I watched him walk in, and then about one hundred photographers, like almost like um, piranhas in the ocean descended on him like this. And it's like they were, cause we call it shooting, right? You're shooting photography, you're shooting film in my business and photography, I'm, I went out shooting today. It looked like there was a hundred people shooting my father. Mm. And mm. I, oh man, that I was, I was younger, but that brought up a warrior spirit in me. I want to jump out of the car and go mad on them and my father was uh, i was friends with robin williams who was very lovely to almost every person that he came across in the street because that was the spirit that he had um my father was was different he was polite but he was very his own solitary nature was something that that was very important to him and he would spend most of his time when he was out of the public eye just laying down in bed. And uh, I've, I've, I wouldn't say I learned from him, but I'm, I'm the same. When I'm not um, on, I'm as off as humanly possible. Um, again, Carl Jung talked about that silence is the most beautiful thing in the world to me, that talking is actually almost like a form of hell. And I had to take a couple of days to... Um, recover from from talking about it um, and, and I, I understand that and yet as we're moving uh, toward an ability to communicate with each other without thought which I believe in about 50 years is going to be very very different uh, communication is still through the, the vocal cords through the mouth is still how we do it and it's a very beautiful thing too um, but the way I bonded to answer your question with my father it, it was red wine and whiskey and cigarettes 
we'd, we'd stay up from nine o'clock in the evening till three o'clock in the morning and talk about every possible subject of everything you could imagine from this and that to this and that you could possibly get to. Uh, and by, by two o'clock in the morning, um, he, he, he would start to agree with me on a few things and then he'd wake up the next morning and <laughs> utterly deny that he had any level of agreement with some of the strange things that I, that we'd agreed on the night before. Um, but we, we, we bonded in uh, conversation uh, in exploring the unknown, exploring life. Um, but mainly now that I'm just sensing into it, um, we bonded without anything. The bond that we had and the bond that we have is um, something that exists like a powerful song in silence. And that was always there. And I don't think it's the first rodeo uh, that my father and I have um, ridden together on. Uh, and uh, I guess the simplest way to say is our bond was utterly natural. Mm. And still is. Beautiful, beautiful barking. And wow. So I'm curious to know the sort of what's next, man? Like, what's the, what's your steps towards making the world laugh, making the world cry, listening, opening the hearts of others? Like, what's, I know, like, I'm curious to know, like, what's the, what's the next steps that are, that are not yet clear, but what's, what's a longing for you that you may want to share with, with, with the public here? Like, what is that longing for? your work in the world? Well, some things are clear and some things are delightfully mysterious. And that's one of the wonderful things about life is uh, sometimes people want to know everything and the, the real fun and joy about a lot of things that happen in life is the surprise, the turning over a rock and finding uh, something you never expected. Um, to answer your question about what's next, I have been working on a film series uh, for the last seven years uh, of my life traveling all around the world to all of the high energy uh, vortex chakra portal uh, places on earth, such as Bali, Mount Shasta, Machu Picchu, um, et cetera, et cetera, uh, to interview people living there and to film these locations and these frequencies and energies um, uh, around uh, a very special groundbreaking film series um, that's going to be shown in a way that's never been done before. And I can't let the kitty cat out of the bag, um, but it's going to be a uh, experience, an interactive experience, uh, more so than just um, uh, viewing a film and listening to it. Um, the film series is about the awakening of consciousness on the planet Earth of humanity. It's about the planet Earth itself, it's about the reflective nature of reality uh, and many other different subjects that some people uh, find interesting from time and time travel, uh, parallel realities and uh, extraterrestrial life. Um, it's going to be coming out over a series of years. 
um, with varying technologies, um, but I'm in the finalization um, levels parts of the series and uh, I'm uh, very excited for how this is going to be um, taken out uh, and transmitted to the world. Uh, so it's a tool of consciousness. It's a way to for people to connect themselves to nature, to connect themselves to themselves as energy, um, as a presence. And uh, all of my work and my music, my writing, my filmmaking, all of it is designed to um, give people a spark um, of connection to more of themselves than they might have imagined possible. Mm. And I'm going to be a little bit cheeky. And uh, oh <laughs> so for everybody who's watching, for everybody who might be tuning in here, what would be a small technique that we could all do together here that could help them get a little bit closer to that, whether it's a small meditation, whether it's yeah. a bit of breathing, what, what feels authentic and real for you to kind of, you know, allow this not just to be words that's transmitted, but for it to be a little bit of an experiential for the guests? Yeah. So if, if you'd like to close your eyes um, or keep them open, however you wish, it doesn't matter. Um, I want you to feel into your body, into the energy in your body, into the physicality of your body. And I want you to sense a vibration, a presence, an experience of existence, the sense that you exist, that you are, that I am, that we are, a feeling that you're alive, that no one can give to you. you can feel into this presence and sense it and find this source, this song that you can feel in your physical body, this presence, stay there with it and breathe and don't think and don't do nothing but feel and experience this presence, this life force, this consciousness that we all are, that is us, and that makes up the totality of all of us and all of life. This presence, this felt experience viscerally of existence is the universal factor of communication, of existence, what connects us all and what is the basis of the communication between all things in life? This presence feels like space, feels like peace. It feels like serenity. It feels like what it's like being loved from all directions, held from all directions, not missing anything. This presence, this feeling, this energy, this vibration, this love is the essence of who you are and who all of us are. And the simplicity of just staying with this feeling, whether you're having a conversation, whether you're in meditation, 
whether you're singing a song, whether you're dancing, whether you're painting. is the truest, purest essence and connection to what people call spirituality, what people call God, what people call the quantum field that arrives as a simple song and feeling and vibration and pulsation that you can feel in your body. And from that presence and from that place and from this experience, everything else and all things arise from. I thank you, I love you and bless you. We are all together in this. Thank you, Lorca. Thank you, Nigel. Thank you to the audience. Thank you for the viewers. And for the people tuning in who are seeing this, just park up. Park up. Put on the handbrake. Take a moment. Take a moment out of your day if you're watching this on the QT when you're supposed to be working. Do this exercise for five or ten minutes. If it's on your lunch break, it'll help your digestion of your, you know, your sandwiches. You know, if it's in the evening time, take some time out. You know, if maybe you have a family and it's busy, get resourced. Get back to the source. Get resourced. Slow it down. Calm the nervous system. Come home, come home, come home to this heart that is way bigger and way more immense than, than we can ever imagine. Lorcan, thank you, brother. Any ending words that you'd like to, to say to the world? Yeah. Um... As a very wise friend of mine says, uh, the best way to know that you're already enlightened is just to lighten up a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> don't buy like into that. the drama. Take it. Don't take it so seriously. Laugh as much as you possibly can. And while there's so many other distractions you might see in the world, on the media, all this and that, I encourage you all to focus your creativity and your love and your imagination on a beautiful world that you want to see, not what you don't want to see. That's that's a meal. That's a Yummy. hearty meal right there. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. Full course, man. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Four, four courses? It's a 12 course right there. Come on. Oh, my God. All of that, man. <laughs> not, not yet. Everybody, Larkin O'Toole, everybody, thank you. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Nigel. God bless you, man. You'll be in touch.